listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. We remain steadfastly and stubbornly in Christmas. When somebody asks you, did you have a good Christmas? The correct answer, although it's a bit snotty, would be, I'm still having a good Christmas. Don't do it. They just look at you like you're mad. On Christmas Eve, we heard Luke's great story of the Nativity. Next Sunday, we'll mark the Feast of the Epiphany by telling Matthew's story of the visit of the Magi. For this first Sunday in the Christmas season, though, we pause from storytelling to consider John's great proclamation of the Incarnation and Arche and Halagos. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. Now, think about that phrase for a minute and ask yourself, where else does it appear? How about Genesis 1, verse 1, the very opening verse of the entire Bible? In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, in the Hebrew scriptures, that's where it all starts, right? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God, in Hebrew, ruach Elohim, or spirit of God, swept over the face of the waters. A formless void. And how is form drawn out of the formless? In and through the uttering of words. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God said, and God said, and God said. Now I suspect that many of us here know the Narnia stories of C.S. Lewis. Know them well, perhaps. Know that they're packed with a kind of a theological richness and insight that children don't necessarily see when they first encounter the stories. I mean, I know I certainly didn't. It was only later in rereading them that these lights began to kind of go on. There is in The Magician's Nephew a rather extraordinary picture of Aslan the lion bringing Narnia into being. The characters now, and if you don't know the story, it will make no sense, but if you do, you'll recognize the names. Just kind of go with it. The characters, the children, Diggory and Polly, Diggory's manipulative uncle, Andrew, a London cab driver, and the witch, Jadis. All of them have landed in this place that is, in the words of that witch, an empty world. This is nothing, she says. The witch lacks imagination to imagine that beyond the nothing there could be something. That out of the nothing, out of the formless, God can draw form. So in the story, the nothing of that place is not unlike the dark and formless void of Genesis 1. Hush, said the cabbie, 
They all listened. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath him. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful Diggory could hardly bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale. Cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. If you'd heard it, as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves which were singing, that it was that first voice, the deep one, which made them appear and made them sing. Well, this company, this odd company of children and adults and a witch watch in amazement as light floods into this empty world, this place that the witch have said was nothing. And they see that it's a lion, the lion, whose song is bringing all things into being, the stars, the sun, plants, trees, streams, and rivers, the animals, all sung into existence. Narnia, 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 awake, says the lion in the deepest, wildest voice they had ever heard. Love, think, speak. In the beginning was the word, John proclaims, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Do you see what John the Gospeler is doing here? Not unlike C.S. Lewis in The Magician's Nephew, John is riffing off of the first creation narrative from the book of Genesis. He's making an improvisational move on an ancient text ancient language, and he's bringing it forward in this new and fresh way. The story of Jesus he is about to tell marks a new beginning, as new as creation itself. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. In John's understanding, in his proclamation, he sees that the Christ is not an afterthought. He's not a sort of a remedy to human brokenness who's inserted into history to fix a world gone astray. The word has been from the beginning. John's telling us that. 
And as you read the story of Jesus the Christ, particularly in John's gospel, but not only there, you have to keep that in view. The word Christos, the anointed one, has been from the beginning. Well, as John unfolds his poetic proclamation, he offers that other extraordinary insight. And the word became flesh and lived among us. Or, as Eugene Peterson freely translates it, and I cited this on Christmas Eve as well because I think it's quite brilliant, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. John is insistent here that the word, God, in whom all things came into being and without whom not one thing came into being, That God, that word, has joined the world as one of us. We have seen his glory, John proclaims. We followed him. We listened as he taught. We watched him reach out and heal the most broken of people. We watched him cast out that which destroyed life. We also betrayed him. We denied even knowing him. We ran into the night when he was arrested. Some of us watched him die. And we feared that his life had been nothing, for nothing, just over. And then we met him again. In his risen glory we met him, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And then we knew him. Forgiven in our weakness and unbelief, we knew. We truly knew that in him and through him we had seen God. And in seeing with those new eyes, we realize that it's all different now. That's what John's saying with this opening prologue to his gospel. I really appreciate how the New Testament scholar Jamie Clark Souls puts it in her comments on John's prologue. She says, For John, with the incarnation, God becoming flesh, bread is no longer just bread. Flesh, no longer just flesh. Water, no longer just water. Vines, branches, sheep, shepherds, all of them reveal the nature of God and the identity of Christ. In other words, God becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood means that everything in the neighborhood is shot through with new possibility, new life, new revelatory power. No wonder, she continues, no wonder that in healing the blind man, Jesus takes the dirt and mixes it with saliva and puts it on the man's eyes. Surely Jesus could have skipped all the messy, dirty parts and just healed the guy, as he does elsewhere. But the use of the earth and the spit should remind us of the creation as told in Genesis, where God creates the first person using the earth. There's that creation theme again. The incarnation is earthy, even muddy, in its engagement with the world, because God truly loves the world. And stuff 
matters. Though it can sound odd to our ears, Archbishop William Temple, writing in the 1940s, famously described Christianity as, quote, the most materialist religion. Materialist in the sense of taking the ordinary and the earthy very, very seriously. As C.S. Lewis put it, God loves matter. He created it. Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak. People of God, awake, love, think, speak. Do it all in such a way as you've learned from watching Jesus the Christ, God with us, and incarnate in flesh his presence, one to another, and in the world in which you live. That's the real claim that Christmas places upon us, to actually then enflesh what we have seen, incarnate it and live it. That's the force of the reading from the epistle to the Colossians as well, to live in a way that enfleshes the living presence of Christ, Above all, Paul writes, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. Now, Paul has spent years planting his little church communities in those places like Corinth and Philippi, and he knows how cranky and contentious church communities can be. He's nobody's fool, is Paul, and he himself can be rather cranky and contentious. And yet he knows with a kind of a deep-in-the-bones knowledge how crucial it is to keep pressing on and holding out those things like forgiveness, compassion, gratitude, praise, and love as the things that the church, the body of Christ, in all of its human complexities, must keep striving to incarnate. People of God, awake, love, think, speak, and live as best you can within the peace of God which passes all understanding. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.